more capital, then you invest that in something else. Okay, so you feel, okay. So if someone did that for two years, a person with no business knowledge, nothing, mm-hmm. did that for two years, or a person that worked under someone that already made a million dollars, who do you think will be farther in two years? My Rolex guy. It's good to have mentors and learn from them, but don't try to be them so fast. That's what confuses people. When you follow around someone who is already making a million dollars and you, you've never even made 10,000 profit, there's a big gap. Learn the principles. How did they make that million dollars? Not the million, but the first 10,000, then the first 100,000, then the first half a million. And if you learn those skills from them and start to apply it in a small business and you grow slowly, then your life will be different. But in two years, it won't. And if you think it will be, you'll be disappointed. People will think you're a crook. People will stop answering your calls. And you burn like bridges because you are not reasonable in what you are expecting. That's actually very intelligent. I like that. That's actually quite smart. Nothing, man. What's up? Today we all were black, man. That hasn't <laughs> happened in a while. Everyone got like the A memo. couple of weeks. We have to take a group picture, by the way. Ah, this is a perfect day. <laughs> perfect day. <laughs> perfect day. Everyone's in uniform. What's going on? Nothing, man. Good, man. Bro, I saw you guys' muscles in the last vlog. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. My small, small push-ups are working. Yeah. Both of you. Jesse took. Jesse was shirtless the entire vlog. Yeah. And I didn't want the Coca-Cola on my shirt, to be honest. That's what you're also wearing the local, I think Jesse the was local trapping. vest, trying to be slick. Trapping? Yeah, trapping. trapping. Yeah. Oh, that's I trapping. Hope it oh, trapping. <laughs> I hope it worked. I was trapping coke and mentos. Um, what's up with your hair? What's up with my hair? Usually it's very neat and organized. <laughs> now I'm trying something new today. He <laughs> <laughs> never to disclose his truth. <laughs> what are you trying today? <laughs> something new with my hair. Bro, I thought, you know, I thought today when I was getting a haircut, I was like, man, I just do the un- unkempt thing like this. <laughs> I can't pull that off. <laughs> all right, I hope you guys are doing yeah, good. definitely can. Oh, all right. Um, I want to introduce this week's guest immediately. Okay, we have a special guest on the podcast today. Let me not show the screen, maybe. Duh. Um, <laughs> okay. Welcome into the studio. Um, actually, let me say this first. Uh, she is an African... She's a woman, an African, and an entrepreneur, and a Forbes Under 30 recipient, our second on the show. Mm. Welcoming to the studio, Dr. Natalie Bitature. Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for coming. Welcome My to the pleasure. Show. Hi. Hi. It's a very fun show. <laughs> I watched your Rolex episode. That made me laugh. <laughs> Um, thank you. What did you think? So many people sent it to me. <laughs> They're like, I watched this one. It was so cool. Were they telling you to to do to watch it because of the because of Musana? Everyone yeah. like thinks it was me. I was like, no, guys, I don't know these guys. You guys know but Musana? But I love the idea. Musana what? Musana cards. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a solar powered yeah, Rolex stand. Yeah. 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 Maybe you should have used that. Maybe you should have it tried. It would not have fit. Because you have a bunch <laughs> of cards. Give a side eye in case you want to see <laughs> the next video. Just in case you have one. <laughs> uh, welcome on the show. This is Jesse and Melvin again. Nice to meet you guys. Nice to mm-hmm. meet you too. This is Raymond. <laughs> Good to know. This is a studio. That's a TV. <laughs> it's a lovely studio. Okay. Um, 
you're telling me before how come you have it organized like this woman african and entrepreneur in particular like because i feel like that is my identity in that order i'm always i think of myself as a woman first then i think of myself as an african and then i think of myself as an entrepreneur not an african woman uh, <laughs> no because i feel like african. i and i i feel like i associate with all women and i associate with all africans of course i have a preference for african women but <laughs> i understand it that way yeah. i see how did you when were you a Forbes 30 under 30? The same year as Kemi. Really? Yeah. <laughs> the same class of Forbes. <laughs> but it's so funny. Me and Kemi are friends. And when we saw each other the first time after, she's like, man, my life didn't change at all. <laughs> Forbes means nothing in our world. And for us, it's like the Oscars. So everything becomes about Forbes once you announce like in the business world. So it was so funny <laughs> complaining about it. When you're introducing yourself in a business like setting, do you lead with that? I don't like to, but sometimes I do because it like speeds up the process of take me seriously. Like, <laughs> let's just <laughs> get on with it. Yeah, mm. but I normally I don't. Normally people will have googled me before and see it, so they'll introduce me that way. But if I'm like in a new setting, it helps. Like when you have like one minute to introduce yourself, then they're like, oh, okay, you're here as a business person. Oh, like, serious. let's take us seriously yeah. and we just move on. Do you have an issue with that being a woman of business in Uganda being taken seriously? Oh yes. <laughs> okay. Of course. As I'd assume, how do you deal with that? Uh, I mean, like, how have you dealt with that these past few years? Um, it's hard, but you have to stay positive and consistent, and you really have to draw boundaries and be assertive. So I learned at a really young age to just take myself seriously and act as I would want people to take me seriously. So what? don't let yourself be undermined. Hold your ground. Like, keep showing up. It's very hard because you get defeated and demoralized. Sometimes I will go home and cry, but at off work, I will take myself seriously. And what happens if you don't take yourself seriously if you're doing business in Uganda as a woman? Do you miss out on certain business opportunities just because you're not being taken seriously? All the time. Like, I encourage women so much every day. You have to speak up in meetings. You can't let people, like, mansplain you or steal your ideas or keep sending you for tea in the middle of a meeting. Oh my God. You have to have those awkward moments and be like, there's a secretary for that. Or get it yourself. Or that's not my job. You just have to say those things and then they'll learn to not ask you for those things again. Or like when they make sexually like inappropriate jokes about you, you have to call them out in the moment. In a business meeting? Yeah. You have to, you have, to have the awkward moment in that meeting. Otherwise, it will keep happening and then no one will take you seriously. If one person does that and you say nothing or you joke along then everyone thinks it's okay and they will continue to undermine you in that environment. Oh my God. So you just have to get used to those moments and then people stop doing it once they know you. Then you move to another setting and you do it all over again. So it doesn't run out, man. Are there any particular like women in business here in Uganda that you look up to? Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I was recently at the Goody Leisure Farm. Dr. Goodila is one of our partners with Musana now, but she's been a really good mentor of mine for How years. How do I spell her name? G-U-D... I E, I E, yeah, Good Incubation Center. They're one of our partners for Musana, and she's like this brilliant PhD, and she's been doing huh? training, yeah, for young people for like the last ten years. She's trained like seventy thousand young people in like agriculture skills and completely changed their lives. And she's so thorough. She takes it so seriously. She's on top of everything. She's a partner with Mastercard Foundation now. They gave her like a Jeez. huge grant to like scale up all over the country. I'm so I'm so happy for her. Mm. It's really really been great to see. Okay. Um, I like going to U Wheel events. 
there are so many different women who do so many different things. So you have to think about mentors. I like to think of mentors in different spaces. So one of my first mentors was Sonia Reese, who works in property and consulting. And she taught me so much about being a woman in the workplace, especially in the property space, like on construction sites, dealing with brokers. Like it's hard and it's, <laughs> it's stressful, but she'd been doing it for so long. So I learned so much from her. Um, I love Angela Bagaine, who is the president of You Will. She has four kids, guys, and is happily <laughs> married and runs businesses and runs organizations. And so she's like superwoman to me because she does so much. I feel like you've put me on the spot. <laughs> 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 nah, no, pressure, no, 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 no pressure. Don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> no pressure. But I'm just glad there's so many women I can turn to or ask questions and be inspired by all the time. Actually, filming Business Revolution was really great because I got to like make a list of all the women I wanted to speak to and now I had like a good excuse. Business um, Revolution? What, what was that? It's a business, sort of like a TV show that we made for YouTube where I would interview different entrepreneurs who are established entrepreneurs and also like up-and-coming entrepreneurs about their story, what they've gone through, their challenges, their successes, just to like spread more information ah, to young people. Business yeah. Revolution. So I got to interview a lot of great women for Business Revolution. That was a lot of yes. fun. Oh, those um, are several episodes, actually. Yeah, there's, I think, 10 episodes or 8 ten episodes. episodes. Mm. So young people, older people, and hear their stories and see how, hear how passionate they are about their businesses, how thorough they are. And something I think a lot of young people see the success, but they don't know what people went through to get there. Especially with social media and just highlighting yeah. the end. Mm, you the just see all the highlights. nice things and you think, oh, they woke up and in one year they were rich. No. <laughs> all these people had like... 10, 20 years of struggle and then this happened and then that happened and then this happened. And so I think it's really good to highlight those stories and also show there's so many different paths to success, especially highlight in business. Highlight story. <laughs> Trying to <laughs> yeah, she's highlighting. You're highlighting. Yeah, social <laughs> media. <laughs> By the way, that's actually... That's actually a big thing because people's attention spans are really short and you're trying to pass them a message that Super oh, hey, this this is a long-term process, but you have yeah, to still put it in like the net. Quickly as you have to make 10 minutes. Size. <laughs> they make yeah. it hard. Because I see a, a, you have like clips and then this is the actual episode. Yeah. So you film the episode and then do short clips that people can take yeah, away. Yeah, the short clips were just me like giving tips on certain things about business, like common questions. And then each interview I would ask like in an in-depth questions to the person. I see. So yeah. is, is this like an ongoing thing or was it uh, a one-off? That is season one technically. Okay. It's just hard to film a lot mm. because of my schedule. Mm. I remember so seeing it a lot during lockdown. Yeah, it yeah. actually came out during lockdown. Which was great because like everyone wasn't working, eyeballs. so I was like, "This is good. Now we have time." And then every week it would come out, and I do a live mm -hmm. follow up with the person because I filmed it like a year ago. So it was nice to hear where they are now, how they're surviving with lockdown, how they've adapted their business. That was really helpful. Brilliant. Wow. And now you're doing something similar, like in terms of mentoring and teaching. Kind of. So after doing that and a lot of like the Facebook videos I was doing, just like general business tips, I was getting a lot of women sending me messages in my inbox. Can you give me advice? Can I meet you about this? And I realized they're asking a lot of the same questions, which means they don't have an avenue where they're learning these things easily. So I decided, let me mentor these women. Like I, I'm going to make time. So I made a WhatsApp group. And first there was like 20, then there were like 60, then there were like 200. <laughs> and then we made another WhatsApp group because we reached the limit. So I had two WhatsApp groups and it's so busy. They'd ask questions and we're sharing articles and we're talking about different issues. And we started doing meetups and I will do workshops. And it became too much just because I have a full-time job as well. And then actually during lockdown, I was like, let's just use Facebook. Because Facebook had like changed their model to focus so much on groups. So they have a really good like 
platform for how you can organize groups. So we opened it as a Facebook group and sent them the link. And that was in the middle of lockdown, like March, April, around end of April or May. Mm-hmm. Now there's more than 2,000 women in the group. Like people just kept inviting their friends because it's still a private group. And it's only women, and they just have to. <laughs> <laughs> so it's sort of spread by word of mouth mostly. But it's easier because that way I can answer their questions. I can do lives. I can do interviews. I share inspirational quotes every day and then articles like a few times a week to help them with their careers. Because women don't have support in their careers, especially in our African setting. No one is helping you or encouraging you because they're like, you should be married. You should be looking after your kids. You shouldn't be this ambitious goal setting, like going for all these things. But women are more often than not these days breadwinners and they have so much more responsibility and they should be ambitious. So I want to be like a supportive resource. So whether it's not just me, but other women sharing their own experiences, we share each other's information or articles. It's like a marketplace now. All the entrepreneurs share like their things. So you can find all kinds of businesses or items or services in the group. So I'm really happy with how it's growing and I want to make more time to support them. Oh my God. How are you going to make more time? Um, are you going to make more time? I'm even wondering how you <laughs> managed to get here with your full time. Yeah. <laughs> what is your full time? With my full time job? Yeah, what is Chief your full time job? Chief of staff at Simba Group. Chief of staff at Simba Group. Okay. Yep. I'm assuming that this is very stressful. You guys have a ton of companies under that. <laughs> yeah. It is, but um, I, it's my job and like I love it. You sound like you're really passionate about helping the women because like I don't think you'd have gotten this far having a full-time job and also doing all of this answering the groups and making yeah, all this it, it is really it's hard at least like now I have help like I have a really good assistant and I also have someone who works full-time on her now which was just from this January because it's too much to manage on my own mm-hmm. while I have so many other things mm-hmm. it's fun working for Simba group because I get to work across all the different sectors I don't I'm not like specific to any one area but, and it's mostly like problem solving and dealing with strategy and different things that they have to Oh, you through. deal with it on like a high level. Yeah. <laughs> so I love hearing that. <laughs> Why? No, I, I favor strategy in my life. I favor strategy to being like, to having my nose on the ground. I hate that, like micromanaging <laughs> stuff. I hate it. Well, you need to understand what goes on on the ground. So I've worked in all the different companies, so I know what they all do in detail. But you also have to trust the people that do it every day. They know better than you. So we have really good managers in all the good companies, and it's my job to interact with them and sort of liaise between them and the board or them and the chairman and make sure everything is going as it should, Mm. which it never does. Mm. But that's my job, basically, (laughs) to make sure we're moving along. Uh, Do you know that the two um, CEOs of Google, the two CEOs of Google have... A one a day every month in which they go to like the ground level and walk there for a day. Mm. Yeah. Then so from Jan they'll go to like the ground level and walk in like cust and like PR or like answering like uh, support tickets. Then in Feb they'll dedicate another day to where they do like a like second tier job like that and move up. It helps because yeah. you also have to keep relating. The problem is when you get to like a high level, you're just being fed information. So you have to trust your managers, but it's it's good for two reasons. It's good for you to see what's happening on the ground because you'll always see something different. Someone who sees something every day won't notice certain things. And then also, it's I think it's good for morale 
I learned this from my dad. He like really loves to interact with staff to this day. Like the hotel waiters, he'll ask them questions or he'll be at Simba and speak to the shop attendant. Like he really wants to know how is your day going? What do customers say? What are the challenges? What is management not supporting you with? You know, he really gets involved and it really improves morale. So all the staff really feel attached. And like we think of ourselves as a family at Simba Group. So you, we are a big group of staff because there's hundreds of people, but you're really connected and like involved in what they do and you care about how they feel about their work and about the brand and the customers and everything that they're doing. So I think it really helps. Which is how people should be treated, yeah. Mm. Mm. That's similar to that show, Undercover Boss. Yeah, I love yeah. that show. <laughs> We're like a disguise <laughs> and then go and do like an entry-level job, <laughs> the nastiest office job. Yeah. Which always you come see back the like, truth. Yeah. Would you, you do something like that? I would. And I feel like I do that sometimes and like accidentally because you can't ask people to do something you wouldn't do. Agreed. So like when I was, when the hotel was up starting up, I was working almost in all the different roles all the time just this to like guys? support them. Yeah. Okay. So I it got to the point where I just moved into the hotel because I was just never at home. And if they're really busy, I'm not going to watch like empty plates be sitting there or like a customer is not getting served. So I would get involved more and more. Mm -hmm. And like the staff are like, oh my gosh, she's also clearing plates and like letting the customers shout at her and doing stuff. Mm -hmm. And it also shows them something about how seriously you take the business and that I'm not asking you to do something I wouldn't do. I know what it feels like to stand on your feet and work in a restaurant for 10 hours. I don't do it every day, but I understand. So I can have compassion for what you're doing. And also it makes me think about, is this right what we're doing? Can I change a policy that makes their job better or makes their life easier or makes the customer service like much smoother for the customers? So it really helps. I see. Let me ask, uh, in a company like Simba, what, what would you say are your priorities? The customers or like your employees? Which, which takes number one? I wouldn't say you prioritize those. Those are stakeholders. So stakeholder management is the priority. Right, And you have to think of all of them as important and valuable. There is no Simba without customers, but there's also no Simba without staff. So I interact with the staff on a day-to-day -day because if my staff are happy, if they are motivated, if they are doing the right things, it means the customers are happy. So by default, it works. Mm. But I also have to take customers seriously. So even up to now, feedback at Skies, if any time anyone has like a bad meal or someone was rude or something took long, they text me directly or they'll find my number or send me a message on Facebook. And I'll be like, I'm really sorry. Give us another chance. And I go back to the staff. How did this happen? What was going on on this day? How can we learn from this? So it's kind of like juggling different balls, but you Balance. need all of them moving all the time. For the whole act to work, I see. Yeah. I see. Do you know something? I re something that I've always struggled with is, I find a hard time. Um, I find a hard time relating with people who have accomplished so much. Like you said that when the hotel was being building, the whole time I was wondering, how did that hotel get built? Like how how does one start building a hotel? <laughs> right. Do you like uh, start with like the money in your account and then like get loans and oh. then like. That uh, would be great. Money <laughs> <laughs> was just in the account. <laughs> um, with Skies in particular, it was actually apartments. So my dad is obsessed with property. It's like a passion of his. So he really likes just to visit people's buildings. All like the property people know him and he'd be like, hey, I see there's a site. Can I come? And so we all, we're always touring and looking at things. And I remember we went to Skies and he was friends with the owners. There were four owners and they were each building a tower uh, like together and they were all going to live on the penthouse floor like for themselves so they were apartments and my dad walked around and he looked at it and he's like you know what this will be a great hotel and they were like what's this uh, apartment but like if you want an apartment we'll sell it to you he's like i'll buy all of them let's me buy all of them and convert it into a hotel 
because now we had been running Protea Kampala for a few years, so we understood the business, and he saw a lot of potential. So after some negotiation, <laughs> my dad is really funny. He has all these like old superstitions and things, and he spent so much time with Indians when he was young. So I remember that day at the site, he gave the guy 10,000, and he's like, this is my deposit. Let's shake hands, and we'll work it out. Because it takes months, mm. almost a year, due diligence with the banks on both sides, negotiations, contracts. But that was like the principle, and they agreed and shook hands that day. Then you start the construction because to convert apartments to a hotel is a whole other ball game, and we'd never done that in particular. So I've worked in a bunch of different sites, and I was part of that team as well. And you have to think about the experience of customers, the things hotels have to have, and then also we are branded by Marriott. And at the time of Skies, it was still Protea. So Protea was a South African family-owned group, and then Marriott bought them because they wanted to um, increase their footprint in Africa. Africa. And so now we all had to change to the American standards instead of the South African ones, which is why it took us so long to like onboard Marriott with the changes in construction. We had to change the fire escapes. You have to change how many fire doors. There are so many more things you have to do because now it's an American standard hotel. Oh, you mean American standard in terms of like the infrastructure is different? Yeah, like the laws in America. Because in America, they build out of like wood, man. So things catch fire and everything burns. Yeah, yeah it's cement. If one room burns, it's fine. Nothing yeah. else will be affected. Yeah. But it's their policy. And no one has ever died in a Marriott hotel in a fire. So they don't want it to start now in Africa. <laughs> in Africa. <laughs> so they made us redo so many different things. But you sort of have to look at, you walk backwards. If we want it as a hotel, what do we need? Like we needed a swimming pool. There was no swimming pool. You need to figure out the car park. You need to figure out conferencing. Now you need a commercial kitchen, which wasn't in apartment buildings. So our rooms in the hotel, some are really, really big because it was an apartment. So you mm -hmm. can't change the plumbing when the building has already been, been built. Yeah. So you have to like adjust. So you have a whole team of people. And I remember we'd have daily meetings and there's like 30 of us in the room. Mm -hmm. And this is the head of electricals. This is the head of engineering. This is the head of plumbing. This is the head of this. And you have every single person adjusting, telling you what they need, who yeah. needs to go in first because you don't want to break this. And then this person comes in and has to do it all over again. So it's more about coordinating the efforts which is the difference. When you build from scratch, you get to do all the planning and then you have things working in order. Yeah. When you're converting something, you have to see what we have, what we're trying to get it to, and now how do we close that gap? You know, sometimes I'm tempted to think in a linear way in terms of... So I've been to Skies a lot of the... I've been there like a bunch of times. Oh. Sometimes I... I <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. I like to imagine how much it cost and then try and see how I would deem it worthy. And so if... Say, for example, okay, sky is much more complicated, but let me think of an apartment. If someone built an apartment in Uganda for $2 billion and he and it's, say, like four units, and he's collecting $2 million every month, when does that ever get worth it? If you're collecting $2 million every month from those four, that's $8 million a month, but you've spent $2 billion. Do you... Well, usually you can't, this is the truth. Because how are you going to get $2 billion? Unless you have $2 billion just sitting in your account. Oh, I mean, like, in terms of, like, what it costs. Like yeah, but see, that's what I'm saying. You have to work backwards. So when you go to the bank for money, they're going to ask you, how will you get a return on this investment? Uh -huh. So they, they don't help you calculate, but as a business person, you should be calculating that. How much rent do I need to make to cover my cost? If I have a loan, I have to be paying principal and interest over, let's say, 10 years or 15 years. How much deposit do I already have? If you're buying a building, how much goodwill are you giving them? If you're constructing, how much is it going to cost you to build these things? And that all has to be calculated so that you know if my building is full, which usually it's not, so you need to operate it. Like if we're at 70% occupancy in the apartment building, we're earning, let's say, that $8 million a month, how many months is it going to take? Will I be able to service that debt? 
how am I going to pay the bank, pay the salaries, do the upkeep, and still make a profit. So you calculate those things before. And so the bank won't give you money if you're going to spend $2 billion and make $8 million a month. They'll just tell you no, because it doesn't make financial sense. So you have to work out this stuff in your business plan to assess the value. And with property, usually you just have to look at the different ratios. You look at the area, how much will I be able to collect in rent? How much do I need to spend to get that rent? And then see how long I can pay this debt over. And then the bank agrees. Yeah. I see. What are some what are some personal what are some personal metrics that you use to determine whether you'll do a business, whether you'll get involved in a business? When do you deem it like, okay, I think I will get involved with these guys, I'll work with these guys, da, da, da. Uh, we don't really work with people, to be honest. Oh. <laughs> All our companies are ours. Mm. So it's about whether we want to get into this sector. I see. You look, you make the, uh, like a business model. You see, does it make financial sense? Firstly, the numbers have to make sense. Otherwise, if you're doing something like, for her, I do a lot of that for the impact. So I look at the numbers because it needs to be self-sustaining. I don't need to be pulling money from other companies, but I need to know what I'm trying to measure and see. So with regular companies, like other Simba Group ones, like we just launched Medicare during COVID last year because you look at the opportunity, the total addressable market, and then look at your capacity and your resources that you, you need to service that market. And then you do the numbers. If we sell this much per month, we'll make this much. How much are we actually going to be spending? How much are we going to be making? Does it make sense? My dad will not in begin a business unless it's going to make a million dollars profit per year. That is his like line. Holy... What? So if he gets so many business ideas every day, and him is like a junkie, he always wants to start a new business. He's like, what about this? What about this? Let's try this. Run the numbers. Do this. And like, if you work it out and you're like, okay, we could sell this much. We could make this much. Million dollars profit in a year. Okay. Get, let's l- make it happen. Let's look into it. I see. Um, what but about that's because of his experience. Yeah, it's not worth his time. Like, ever, since, uh, ever since you <laughs> said that 10K thing, I've just been thinking, Yo, this guy is such a gangster. Is that <laughs> <what you mean? laughs> like, uh, this is a movie. Oh, you know what I said? He used to do it back in the day. Hey. Like the Italian, like Yeah, mafia. he's still like that. <laughs> hey. That's too cool to me. Yeah, that's way too cool. That's too cool. Frank Sinatra never signed a deal in his life. He always shook hands shook on hands. it. And yeah. my dad is like that. that. He needs to look in the eye. He needs to trust your character. Sometimes he'll agree to things without a contract. Like, daddy! He's like, no, I met the guy. Really, I looked him in the eye. I We're going to do this. Yeah. <laughs> this is like a good guy. <laughs> good yeah. And then that's my job to now follow up with like all the paperwork, <laughs> the lawyers, the accountants. I'm like, okay, guys, we got to make this happen before we go too far. But Timmy is very old school. I see. What's one word that you could describe? Uh, what's one word that you'd, you could use to describe where you are right now and everything that you've ever accomplished in business? Uh, daunting? Because, <laughs> you know, for me, it doesn't feel like I've accomplished a lot. I feel like I'm drowning every day. There's just so many things. I'm just <laughs> trying to keep going. And then other people will be like, you did this and this. It's so impressive. I'm like, oh, thank you. But it kind of also makes me feel like I'm still young, man. If they think I've done all this, what do they expect me to keep doing? <laughs> so I'm like in the middle of survive, survive and keep like doing stuff. And it all kind of just happens. So I've never planned it, and it's never like, I'm going to take Forbes at this age, I'm going to do this at this age. It just, it keeps flowing. So it's kind of scary, because I don't know what's coming next. I see. New Year's parties must be kind of weird then. 
Yeah. <laughs> I know. Uh, New Year's, I'm working usually because yeah. now skies. Mm. I think other than COVID, like last year we had a thousand people for dinner. So New Year's is like a mad day. These guys were there. Oh, you oh were yeah, there. we were there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was fully booked, man. That day was really good. So my New Year's, that's on my birthday. So every year on my birthday, I sit down and like write down my goals and reflect and like what worked this last year? What do I need in the next year? What do I need to improve? How can I do better at this? What's important to me? And I think it's important to take that time to pause because otherwise you're just fighting every day and months would pass and you don't know which direction you're moving in because there's too many things that I deal with all the time. So it's important for me to know what are my goals and what am I trying to do? And then I break it down so that every month I'm making progress. So I write it at the top of my to-do list for that month. These are my three priorities personally for this month and then everything else. So I keep reminding myself. From what I can hear, it seems you're like a very, 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 very busy individual. How do you let loose? How do you relax? Is that when do you something chill? you prioritize? Is it yeah, <laughs> when, when you're not so busy, what are you... How do you, yeah, how do you let chill? loose? Yeah, how do you de- I have really good friends and I'm really close to my family. And I know over the last five years, relaxing was not a priority, is the truth. I was like those typical workaholics that was just work, 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 work. And actually it was COVID <laughs> that really forced me to like relax and chill. And I was just saying yesterday, I feel like last year I slept more than the last five years combined. <laughs> <laughs> I just got to relax. Like this curfew so I can't be at work. Like you just have to learn how to chill. I watch a lot of movies. I think I've had that since I was a kid. My parents used to have Blitz video and ice cream. Mm-hmm. And so my dad is also like a big movies person. So me and my siblings watch a lot of movies. And I hang out a lot with my friends and my family. I read a lot as well. Technically, sometimes I think like that's not chill because I read like productivity things, but I enjoy it. <laughs> so it feels relaxing for me. Yeah. And I sleep. Like now, like when you work the way I used to or the way I still do most of the time, I have to like make time to sleep. And like if I'm not at work, my priority was always I need to sleep because I know you need to sleep to survive. And I was sleeping so little. So I would make chunks of time where I'm like, I just have to sleep. I have to schedule the sleep. So oh, that you, I keep you sk- going. You schedule the sleep throughout the day? Like no, like I have to Pomodoro. block. Or block <laughs> this out time. this time like to this time. No calls, no texts. Like I have to sleep on this day because now we're 10 days in deficit. It's not good. Wow. So I used to plan things like that. So, wow. But I like to sleep. I do. Yeah. <laughs> <It's relaxing. laughs> Me too. <laughs> What's your favorite book? Yeah. Favorite? And movie. And movie. Ooh. No, I can't choose a favorite movie. That's just like... To tear me to pieces. <laughs> okay, top three, top three. Top three. We're judging you hardly. Top three okay. you recommend at least. I'm going to cheat. I really like Star Wars. Uh, <laughs> I could tell. <laughs> Nine movies, okay. <laughs> yeah, all of the Star Wars movies. Uh-huh. I really liked um, the whole MCU, like Avengers series. Like me and my siblings took that very seriously. One second. We're like in deep. One second. You even liked Rogue One, Star Wars. Yeah, and solo, and solo, solo. Okay, solo was painful for all of us, <laughs> like the Star Wars community. Even, but it's always good to one. see different like perspectives and sides. So I like I oh, I'm part of like all the groups and we like discuss stuff and there's so many like people complaining. But you guys, me, I just like that there's more stuff coming. Coming, that's out the day. truth. Not so every time Jedi. <laughs> yeah, so it's nice to see different perspectives, be in that world, stuff like Harry Potter or Lord of the Rings. You know, when you get like immersed. Mm-hmm. I love that. And someone has taken the time and thought of the details. I read all the Game of Thrones books. That's definitely my favorite books. You wow. read them? All of them. Before Those or after? Big books. Oh. Big Before books. or after the series? Before. Before. Wow. That's why I read like the first two. And then I was like, oh, there's a TV show. And there was only like one season at the time. 
and I went in so deep. I lost like a year of my life. It took <laughs> <laughs> but that it's like someone has taken the time to think of all this, like the history of the place mm-hmm. or like the songs and the characters. And the books have even more characters than TV, but it was too confusing to put all of them in the TV mm. show. And the books were written in a way that it's not just chronological because there are too many perspectives. So you'll read up to like a certain time, then the next book goes back in time to what was happening in this other city. And it's just so deep and so rich and it's so impressive to me. And I really love that. So I'm very impressed by like people that think that through like Marvel, it was like a 10-year plan mm-hmm. and they executed it so well. Have you, you seen how they shoot those props. movies? They did like a they did a video on YouTube where they interviewed the guys that rendered the Marvel movies the, the guys the guys that did the special effect those guys do you want to explain this the previous stuff. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah like basically like the way these guys they plan out their movies it's possible for them to plan like ten years in advance because they like basically make a rough render of the movie in like one of those like uh, video ed- uh, softwares that makes like um three D graphics. And then they like play out the whole movie and they can plan several movies in advance. When the director comes, when they get a director, when they get actors on board, they're just literally filling in. They know exactly what exactly. you need to do. Frame for frame. frame. You watched it, huh? <laughs> 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 she just literally. <laughs> <laughs> guys, in deep. But isn't that impressive? It the is. The detail. Meticulous. The detail. Mm-hmm. Have you been watching WandaVision? I haven't no. watched it. I haven't I'm watched WandaVision. I'm scared to watch it. I'm it's waiting for it to, to wrap up. Greatness. I feel like it's just embarrassing for anyone else who works in Hollywood. Like, this is a gold standard. The details that they put in there, like, I'm part of this group, and after every episode comes out, we have to, like, dissect every small <laughs> thing. Like, the way this happened, and then this, and did you see how they mentioned that, which is, like, a nod to this other movie or this other character? They think it through so well, and then execute it like it looks nice, and it's funny, and action, mm. and whatever. Mm. But the story... It's impressive. Those things aren't movies like anymore. It's like <laughs> <laughs> something else. <laughs> something else. Have you seen The Mandalorian? I haven't. Have to be honest. Either. Yeah. My brothers are obsessed with The Mandalorian, mm. and I feel like because of the way things are coming out, you also have to pace yourself. The truth <laughs> is, after the Game of Thrones books, that guy hasn't written another book in fifteen years. He left us hanging. So the way the show ended is not how the books end. It was quite depressing. Mm. So I feel like I also don't want to watch everything all the time as soon as it comes out. Like WandaVision, I have to watch every week because otherwise Twitter will destroy it and my friends will pull <laughs> me out of the group. <laughs> but I feel like The Mandalorian, it stands aside so it doesn't like get connected to the whole trilogy or like whatever saga is going on. Agreed. So I can watch it in pieces. Although I heard there was like a big ending in the last season. So they're all trying not to tell me <laughs> and I'm being careful. Because like I said, I don't have that much time. So when I have like that time, I want to like dive in and like binge the whole thing. Yeah, I'm, so I'm keen on the Mandalorian, what you think when you watch it, I, I guess. Because Why? I'm not a big like Star Wars fan. Like I've watched the movies, but I didn't say like I'm a fan. But the Mandalorian was lit. Yeah. And, like, I really enjoyed that thing. I watched like, the whole two seasons in like one go. I hate the wow. Disney guys. <laughs> Disney is going to make everyone have to watch those series because if you don't, some movies won't make sense. I know. Yeah. I feel sorry for people who think that way because as we enjoy, <laughs> regardless, <laughs> bring, 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 bring. <laughs> you just put me in What's the middle. I love how it all connects. It's so sweet when they say something or you had to have known what the inside joke was uh-huh. or why they did this. It's, it's great. Favorite book. Oh, Game of Thrones. Oh, Game of Thrones. Definitely. What like, I, I, I want to say, like, a good business book, but... <laughs> nah. Oh, I'm, I'm super interested in what your favorite <laughs> business book is. Uh, I wouldn't say I have a favorite. Uh-huh. I like reading books that make me think. 
like it be unlocks something or makes me connect to something else. Malcolm Gladwell is a really good author for that because he takes different like ideas and concepts and does really good research and mm. shows like a theory. Mm. Um, I like James Clear Atomic Habits. I feel like I everyone should book. read that because that is just going to make you a better person. Mm. If you understand what he's saying and you do what he says, it will make you a better person. That helps. I like like John Maxwell is great, like the way he writes. And John Maxwell's a guy like from Outliers. Oh, who moved no, that's Malcolm. No, that's Malcolm Gladwell. Oh. Who, is, who is this? Malcolm Glaxo? Ma- John Maxwell. <laughs> oh, John Maxwell. <laughs> John Maxwell and Brian Tracy have really good books because they're really written simply and they give you like the principles that you need to understand about business, oh. about leadership, about sales. Yeah. And John Maxwell has a really good community in Uganda. There are a lot of people who are certified to like teach his stuff. Wow. Yeah, which I think is really great. Is he related to Steve Stephen Maxwell? Is it called Stephen, Stephen Maxwell? Maxwell? The guy wrote like Seven Habits for That's Stephen effective. Covey. That's <gasps> another really good book. Stephen Covey. Seven Habits is also great. I feel like everyone should read that as a teenager. Those are just good principles in life that you should have. I see. Okay, let's take a five minute break. And oh, before we take a break. Because after a break, I want us to talk about all that ignorant shit. But... Um, <laughs> So we had an argument on this pod a couple of weeks ago and we were arguing about what the most like what's the most efficient way to get rich? What's the hmm. best way to get rich? What do you think? What do you think? It depends on what your def- definition of rich is. Okay, best way for you to make a million dollars a year. Yeah. Like in cash, just in cash. That's trading, of course, because that's the easiest way to make your money multiply. But it's not wealth. It's not like an asset. It's just turnover. So that's why if you want to like have assets or something that's going to build wealth, you need to start a business which has like a return like 10, 15% and then do it consistently for 10 years. Then you will be rich. <laughs> okay. That's real rich where it's not going to disappear in one day or one bad deal. Agreed. Let me rephrase it. What would be the best way for a person that doesn't have money to make money? Fastest way. What what would you think? What I posited was, I think the best way for people to make, the best way for a person that doesn't have much to make a lot of money would be to just go and work under someone that has done it already. No. What did you say? You'll learn a lot, is the truth, but then you're being paid a salary and you have expenses. So at the end of the month, I don't think you'll have much left. You need to create value. That's the fastest way to make money. You need to take something that has little value and then multiply the value. Even if it's something as simple as like you bought four eggs, you boiled them and you sold them boiled. The mm. value of that egg has doubled. That's why Rolex guys make their 20-30k per day profit. Agreed. Just because they took raw ingredients and they used the natural skill and they made money. Mm. So you need to create value, whether you're buying fruits and making juice, but something that changes a raw product into something more valuable. So if you're spending five thousand, you need to be getting ten thousand from it, the income. If you learn to do that and you do it consistently, then you start to save that. Then you have more capital. Then you invest that in something else. Okay, so you feel, okay. So if someone did that for two years, a person with no business knowledge, nothing, Mm -hmm. did that for two years, or a person that worked under someone that already made a million dollars, who do you think will be further in two years? My Rolex guy. Really? (laughs) Yeah, because the person who's working under that person I have experience in this. The amount of guys who have begged my dad, I will work for you for free. Let me just follow you around. <laughs> How far now? Where are you? The problem is they get confused. You're now 25. You're following around a guy who is like 60, thinking you're going to be like him in a year. 
You're trying to get all his contacts. You're trying to learn everything he does. He wears these clothes. He walks like this. This is how he handles himself in meetings. This is what I need to do. Okay. You're not going to be that in a year. And I feel like they don't understand that gap. So within a year, they'll say, okay, now I'm going to start my own business. They are wasting all this money. They are looking for all these big people and network and clients. And they don't have the experience and the capacity. He is that way because he did something for 40 years. So it's good to have mentors and learn from them, but don't try to be them so fast. That's what confuses people. When you follow around someone who is already making a million dollars and you've never even made 10,000 profit, there's a big gap. Learn the principles. How did they make that million dollars? Not the million, but the first 10,000, then the first 100,000, then the first half a million. And if you learn those skills from them and start to apply it in a small business and you grow slowly, then your life will be different. But in two years, it won't. And if you think it will be, you'll be disappointed. People will think you're a crook. People will stop answering your calls. And you burn like bridges because you are not reasonable in what you are expecting. That's actually very intelligent. I like that. That's actually quite I smart. Like that <laughs> Snaps for that answer. Wow. Right. Okay. Good, this is the video showing the thing. Yeah. And then she was asking the, I think like the silver medalist. She was like, I just want to thank my... Then she turned around and she was like, do you What's prefer being called Jenny or Jennifer? And she goes, Jenny. Then she's like, I'd like to thank Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> Very recently, but I died. <laughs> yeah, but she, she's so sweet. She's a savage. I like her. I don't get that. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get how that's savage. She asked her, what, what should I call what you? What should I call you? So like, I would like to think, what should I She's call so you? She's so polite and considerate. <laughs> she messed it up. <laughs> Man, adrenaline in the moment. Yeah. Uh, okay, so what is your take on formal education today? <sighs> the state of it. Is that a loaded question? I feel mean, criticizing. I'm sure people who work in education are trying so hard. But... In Uganda, especially, our UNEP system, that's not helping anyone. Also, in the world generally, formal degrees, I feel like the problem is the culture. Everyone has been, like, as parents, encouraged, send your kids to school, make sure they get degrees, make sure they get good jobs afterwards. But when you think about the state of a country, Uganda, for example, we do not need a country of professionals or a country of academics. We need people who can work. We need people with skills. And formal education doesn't do that. You need vocational skills. You need life skills, 21st century skills, like communications and teamwork and how to write, you know? And those are not things people are getting in formal education. So I still think it's useful to get a formal education because it keeps doors open for you later. If you want to go into a formal career, you want to have a business, you want to do something else, no door is closed to you if you've finished to a certain level of school, if you have a degree or something. But when it comes to actually what you do every day, unless you're an architect or a lawyer, formal education is not the answer. It's not going to be useful to your day-to-day -day business. What I think of as an employer, it's good to see someone having a degree because that just shows a level of discipline. It just means you finished something. It doesn't really matter what your degree is in. So it's about you as a person, your skills, your ability, your integrity, your attitude, your ability to learn, your ability to apply what you learn, your work ethic. Those things are more important in real life, in my opinion. Very good answer. I like that. Um, we argue about this a lot in this podcast. Oh, not even arguing. We just keep saying how frustrated people are with the, academic, with the formal system right now and academia and in general, and uh, a lot of the people that watch our podcast have the same issue that, uh, oh, that might be true, but like, how do I break it to my parents? 
And you can understand because a generation ago, people weren't formally educated. So this was your way out of poverty. So your parents are trying to give you a good foundation. But for 1960. Exactly. And you know, the education system hasn't changed since all. then. Yeah. So really what you're learning at school is not useful at all. These are not skills that kids in school today are ever going to use in the labor force. And you know that, you know, another thing is like your course here. Um, when a person takes this course and the information, you say you, if you film this course in 2020 and the information is for 2020 and something gets outdated, like a certain tactic or something or mindset, you can just literally pull out that video and replace it oh on yeah. that site. But you can't replace these... An entire curriculum at curri- school. Yeah. Technically, you can't. Can, Some countries try to keep changing things, keeping it fresh. There's so much money being invested in education and different types of learning. This last week, I was on a webinar for so-called George Lucas's foundation. So he did like the intro. I know, it's just a weird coincidence. It's like <laughs> an education foundation I follow. And they were talking about project-based learning. And there's now studies that show how much more effective that is. But they still have to go through like a rigorous process to check something, then to make sure it works, then to try and get countries and systems to implement it. It's a whole other ballgame. By the time you implement it, it's, yeah. it's outdated. But that's why you have to try and think of things that it's about the skill, not the content. Like my course here... In five years, that's still going to be relevant. The things I'm talking about, in 20 years, you will still need those skills. It's not I'm teaching you how to do something technical. Mm. It's a life skill, something that changes how you think, how you operate, how you organize your life. So those are things you're always going to need. It doesn't matter what sector you work in, how old you are, or when you watch the videos. It's stuff that's useful. And I feel like that is something that we should call education, and we should be teaching young people always, everywhere, but unfortunately, that's not always the priority of like a government institution that has to roll out curriculums for all kids. They need to get everyone to a basic level. That's their responsibility. What you do with that basic level now is up to you. And I think to answer the question about how people break it down to your parents, the good thing is these days there are many people you can show, but look at this person. They did this. This didn't work out badly for them. Let me become a dancer or an artist or start a business. See, I'm learning like this. And if you can show them you have the skills and the fortitude to take it through, then your parents will get on board. They all want you to just be successful and happy. So they don't want you to risk a difficult career where you're not going to make money and you're going to be depressed and you're going to be asking them for money. But if you show them, I've done my research, I have this mentor, this is my plan, I can do this, then usually they get on board. Wow. Don't you think so? Are I you think guys so. Are parents on board with this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. These guys are parents. Are you guys on board with this? Michael's talking to me like this. <laughs> I'll be on board with that, man. He has yeah. his proofs like that. Why not? Exactly. Okay, one last question. Everyone's betting on Bitcoin this last year. How? What's your take on Bitcoin? Are you invested? My brothers are in deep. So <laughs> I listen to this a lot. <laughs> it's definitely not Bitcoin particularly, but like cryptocurrency, I think is really the future. Mm-hmm. I think the system that we're using is a bit outdated with banking and the way things were. And it's going to take time, but there will be more options like this. I've also been seeing a lot of things about NFTs on Twitter and about mining. And one of my brothers thinks like cryptocurrency mining is a huge thing that Uganda has a big opportunity for because we have so much excess power and we're not using it. But it's expensive. Really? And it's really hard to get older people to understand these new things. So you need to get people who understand change and are risk takers to invest in these kinds of things. But there's so much opportunity. And I like how it equalizes things. Isn't it amusing how parents here in Uganda kind of confuse um, pyramid schemes with crypto? (laughs) 
Every every time you mention crypto to them, Bitcoin, you they are think you're going to get their money stolen in a Ponzi scheme. Yeah, what? you can't blame them honestly because a lot of those Ponzi schemes came that way. I'm <laughs> they like this. Same marketing techniques, yeah. and they all yeah. fell for them in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone. So these new them. new things they don't want to hear, <laughs> but there's so much potential. But again, the problem is young people rush to these things thinking I'm going to be rich quickly. Let me understand Bitcoin. Yes yourselves do your research understand it well there's opportunity yes and i would encourage people to like understand it it doesn't have to be bitcoin but the different new currencies and stay up to date because with the internet guys we are now competing on a global level mm-hmm. there's nothing that says someone in uganda should not have something or not know something so if you're going to get into something make sure you can hold your ground you can have a conversation about it you can talk to someone in another country you can seize an opportunity because you're prepared agreed I like it. So in the in the near future, you're not like, you might get invested in crypto. I would, yeah, if I had the time to understand and like take like listen well. But I have brothers for that. So <laughs> I'm cheating. Recently, but it will keep going up, and there's so many options. So I I think it's definitely something to take seriously. <laughs> I see. Why? Well, by the way, one last question. Why? Do you think the UG stock market isn't as popping as it is in China or the States? Um, one is the size. Like our infrastructure and our size of our economy is vastly smaller than China's. So what you're working with is less. The amount of people that understand it is less. The amount of people that have money to invest in it is less. And also companies don't want to take that risk because how lucrative is it going to be? Even when Umeme went on the stock market, they had to do it in Kenya as well. Like, there's not that much money in the pool, so it doesn't make sense for companies to do an IPO because you're not going to get that much. So it will grow slowly, and there's also not much interest or support, so it's not a, a great thing. But you can invest in stock markets anywhere in the world from here. I have a friend agreed. There's actually platforms. People don't know this, but you could invest in the stock market yeah. from here. Literally. Yeah. I've forgotten what is this, like E-Trade, something like that. These days, they even make Robin it like Hood. a game. So it's fun and you have friends and you can talk. It's interesting. Robin Hood doesn't work here. Mm. Yeah. Neither does. But also, you we have a lot of like lousy laws in Uganda. Many of like the fintech apps won't work here because we have such poor data and financial laws. We're just not prepared for them. Agreed. Even stuff like PayPal. PayPal. You can't have an account mm. in Uganda. Yeah. So if you don't have accounts in other countries, you can't do these kinds of things. But there are a couple of apps that are open to Uganda. You just have to like verify your identity and stuff like that. I have a friend who was telling me that he invested like 100K in Umeme. Like t- like five years ago, and then after like four years, he had lost like forty four k. The guy is forever pissed <laughs> at the stock market. <laughs> believes a scam. But you see, it's a long game, and it's also some level of risk. But you have to leave it like put the money and wait like five years, six years, and then see. Many people leave it for ten years or just move it from different stocks, and it's also you have to understand what you're doing. You understand what you're doing. Yeah. Stock is one of those things that you have to do for like five years before you even reach like a novice level. Exactly. Level. Um. Anyway, for me, that's it. What do you guys want to talk about? Let's talk about some ignorant shit. <laughs> 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 nah. Um. Let's see what's been happening this week. Did you guys see the Tiger Woods news this morning? Yeah. Oh, in the car crash. Mm-hmm. Mm. All the celebrities are like, we are praying for him. I'm like, guys, he's not dead. He's broke yeah. a leg. <laughs> he broke both. Both okay, legs. But maybe as an athlete. Both and legs. Shattered, and shattered. Shattered his ankle. <laughs> he broke yeah. both his legs. Yes, bro. Yeah. The car was like rolled was, over. They rolled, had to like man. get like him out carefully. Jaws of life. Yeah. Why was yeah. Tiger Woods speeding? Uh, we don't even know if he was speeding. We don't know what happened. Like but we just know that his, ca- his car. car, on the highway, yeah. Yeah. Tiger Woods has had a bad. 
Oh, not a bad now. couple of years. He's out of surgery. Yeah, He's that's safe. My, that's my problem is that every time the tiger woods is like on an upward thingy, something like this happens. Ah, the first time character. he did it to himself. <laughs> <laughs> the, the first time he did it to himself. Have you guys yeah. watched the Have you watched the documentary yet? No, 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 I heard about it. What is yeah. dad? It's about like his whole life. But this one is different from those ESPN documentaries of oh he worked hard. Da, da. This one's deep. Mm. Like he really doesn't fuck with his dad anymore. It was bad. Like he pushed him too hard. Yeah. Mm. For him to become Tiger, Tiger Woods. And that's why you might question his character because of some of those. Some of those this is the same thing yeah. as Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson's dad was horrible. You guys look at all successful people. Their parents are their managers. They're the ones who pushed them. Mm. As kids, they were the ones making them wake up and train. Mm. Don't eat this. No party for you. Like, it's sacrifice. But look at their lives now. So yeah. you have to... Yeah, but they, they always... They, like, they succeed extremely, but then, like, the sad. Nothing is free. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is the leading... Uh, the NBA's leading top scorer of all time. Uh-huh. So he, he was in the NBA from, like, 21 to, like, 32. Dude, his dad was his manager for those, like, 20 years or whatever. And by the time he retired, his dad had squandered all his money. He had to get back out of retirement to play oh, again. Yeah. Otherwise, he was still like washing cars that on the weekend. Well. Most of them actually just drop their parents after they succeed. Well, the parents are not professionals, but the truth is, you've been managing these kids since they were five years old, taking them for the different events and what. And you know, so they get into it. Yeah, and like they sacrifice on the whole family. If you look at the siblings of successful athletes or musicians, they were also just carried carried around the world because of this one kid's career. This kid has been making the most money on YouTube for like four years consistently. <laughs> <laughs> but his dad is manager. Yeah, you yeah. see? But it also helps because if you have an outside manager, imagine how they'll treat your kid because your kid is now a commodity to them. Yeah. You just have to push them to make more money. Mm. There's sacrifice that goes into everything. So I feel it's like harsh to judge people's parents because they also get addicted to the money, the lifestyle. Did you see Britney Spears' documentary? Yo, I've it's heard about horrible. That as well. I've heard about that one as well. Her dad has basically kept her as a slave. Yeah. Locked away. She doesn't have access to her money. He makes all the decisions. It's and it's so still sad. ongoing, right? This is right yeah, now. He still, still, still has, yeah. Still has, like, he still makes the money for her. And so many people go through that. It's either your parent or like with Mariah Carey and Celine Dion, they now married the managers. When they were young girls or even Beyonce, you fall in love and this person controls you and does oh everything God. for you. So it's someone in your life who is close enough but who's making these decisions. Success always comes with sacrifice. So you have to also assess how much and success know do what I want? Can for. you pay the cost? Yeah. Unfortunately, with kids, they don't know when it's happening. Yeah, that's a problem. <sighs> this, kid makes, this kid makes, let me ask you something. This kid makes like $22 million a year uh, gross. Do you think that he'd be making like, do you think if he came to Uganda, he'd be the richest? Do people make this? I don't think Ugandans are making millions of dollars on YouTube. And no, I mean like in general. In general. <laughs> the richest kid? Yeah. No, the richest <laughs> Ugandan. Oh, $22 million? That's not that much. Would you be top oh, 10? Wow. No. Hey. hey. $22 million, yeah. What are people making? Guys, ah. okay, so Uganda has a nice big spectrum. And also, we have the like Chikubo side. Those guys are making cash money. Like when we're talking about traders, them, they have the turnover and the revenue. They're making $22 million every couple of months. Mm. They're collecting it in rent. They're trading it and making it in cash. Then you have the Indians who have been here for so long. They have assets. They have businesses, manufacturing. You have the Chinese who come in with $22 million on like a Tuesday, set up something, (laughs) and now let's just keep going. So there's a big spectrum. You'd be in the top 100. (laughs) Okay. 
All right, I think that's all I have for this podcast. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Natalie. My pleasure. We hope to have you back again soon. Anytime, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, now we need to leave you to do actual like busy stuff. Get back to my day. Yeah. <laughs> to this little fun bubble. All right, thank you so much for coming. Where should people follow you? Uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn. I'm available. At Dr. Dr. Natalie. Natalie Batatire. All right, thank you so much for coming. Thank you guys so much for watching. Like us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, rate us. Thank you guys so much. Subscribe to the channel. We're almost at 3K subs. Till next time, peace.